thought it was a funny video. Welcome to The 8, everybody. I'm excited to be back here at The 8 for us to grow and talk about something. Let's be real, and let's just jump right into it. Life is difficult. Life is difficult. Like, if we kind of really look back at the, at the past year and a half and take even a broader view, for many of us, it's been one hit after another, after another, after another. Like, one thing leads to another, and you keep on saying, things will get better, things will get better, things will get better. And another hit comes. And it's one hit after another, after another. Hence, the title of this series is titled, Enduring Strife. But there's two lens when we look at the difficulties of life. Like, let's not sugarcoat it. Let's not think, like, like there, life is difficult. Like, let, let's face it. But there are two lenses of how we view the, the difficulties of life. The first lens being the lens of faith. Maybe when we hear, I need to have a lens of faith when I'm approaching uh, uh, hardships. Some of us feel, I just need to be super optimistic. God has a plan. God has a plan. Everything will be fine. Everything will be fine. Everything will be fine. And we think that just having a lens of faith is just being like super optimistic all the time. And maybe that's our view of having a lens of faith. And what do we end up doing? We end up saying all the right verses, all the right cliches as a Christian to maybe to bring comfort to ourselves or to someone else who are going through a hardship. Don't worry. God has a plan. Uh, you know, maybe this is the cross you have to carry, so forth and so on. We end up saying these things, maybe we really don't even understand them, and we just want to be super optimistic when we're trying to comfort either ourselves or someone else going through difficulties. And let me tell you the truth. This is why it is so hard for so many people to embrace the Christian worldview because they view it as just having faith just means being super optimistic all the time and that everything is fine all the time and if there's just a hardship, it's okay, this will pass. And just kind of brushing past the hardships and difficulties in this world. This is why it's so hard for people to understand what does it mean to have a lens of faith? If we are just going to approach things in a lens of faith, which is ideal, but I'll elaborate more, but if we, if we disconnect it from the suffering and reality that's in front of us, we're fooling ourselves. We're in denial. We're in deception to feel that I just need to have faith. I just need to have faith. This thinks, okay, it's one thing after another. I didn't expect that to happen. Why is this happening after I just went through another hardship? I just need to have faith. I just need to have faith. And if we just approach that lens to the hardships in our world, we are in denial. We need to have a lens of faith married to a lens of suffering. Lens of suffering must be hand in hand with a lens of faith. One without the other is toxic. One without the other is toxic. And what we want to talk about is the middle ground. How do we find, how do we approach the hardships and trials that come in our world? Maybe there's a hardship waiting for you right after church. Maybe you're in the middle of one right now. Maybe you're completely burnt out because it's been one hit after another. And there's tons of uncertainty, which is skyrocketing stress and anxiety, which I get. But then what is our approach if our worldview is anchored in the reality of Christianity? How do we find the middle ground between having a lens of faith and a lens of of suffering. A lens of suffering must be hand in hand with a lens of faith. Our faith must be most defined, will be most defined in the season of enduring strife. Right now, when things are fine, would you say, yeah, do I have faith? Yeah, I have faith. But when things are tough, I ask you, do you have faith that God is working through this trial for a bigger purpose? Is he trying, is he fitting your hardship into a broader narrative 
in which he is managing, it's a little bit harder to say yes when we're in the midst of darkness, in the midst of a hardship. But this is our entire three-week series is, is, is rotating around this. Our faith will be most defined in the season of enduring strife. It's easy to have faith when things are great. For the next, after today, the next two Sundays here at the A, this three-part series, we're looking at only one passage of, from first-century Christianity of seeing the hardships and difficulties that some of the early followers of Jesus had. But what we're lo looking at is a record recorded by a physician by the name of St. Luke. St. Luke was a physician, so his style of how he just learns and does research is extremely thorough, extremely comprehensive. So he wrote basically two volumes in which we now, that are part of the Bible. The one, one is being the Gospel of Luke, which is one of the four records we have in Jesus' life. The other is called the Acts of the Apostles, in which St. Luke records the highs and lows and stress and pain and good times of all, of everything that unfolded as the church was beginning to, to, to plant its, its feet in the ground and tell people about the reality of who Jesus is. So his style of writing is, is, is unique, and it's connected together. The Gospel of St. Luke and then the Acts of the Apostles, which both of these books are back-to-back are -back if you look in the New Testament of the Bible. He was also an artist. Uh, so, you know, th this is what we're about to jump into is history. But, but let me take this, take this disclaimer first. Before we now look at a hardship, in which we can put our feet into this hardship, in which we can relate to a hardship. Before we jump into that, let me put this big disclaimer. Some of us, especially for cradle Orthodox Christians that, we, we, that maybe have been exposed to Orthodox theology and, and, and having the mindset of the church through, uh, in our upbringing, sometimes we glorify those who have more hardships than someone else. We glorify someone who has gone through more hardships than someone else. Like if we see someone who has pursued and gone through more hardships, we glorify them than somebody maybe had a little bit of hardships. Let's take a step back. This is not the hardship Olympics. Who can have the most hardships and, and, and see how they thrive? If, if, if we, we need to have an uh, understanding optics. Life is tough. Jesus guaranteed it. Like he, he did not try to cover it. He did not try to fluff and say everything will be fine if you just follow me. He said, no, you will have hardships. Like he wasn't trying to sugarcoat anything. So we all go through hardships. We all go through trials. So we cannot just say, oh, they're in a different atmosphere because they went through more or less. And we cannot just, that can't be our lens of just viewing, well, why can't I, like, my life look like that person? It seems like they have less hardships. Or we say, oh, man, I'm glad I'm not like that person because they're going through a lot. I promise you, we all go through different hardships. And for all of us, your hardship is the worst in the room. And for the person next to you, their hardship is the worst in the room. That's for all of us. We get sucked into just the hardships and pain that we are trying to endure. And, and this entire series is what's the lens of how do I approach the hardships and uncertainties and stress and anxiety that I'm in the midst of? Where does my faith, where does my pursuit of something more, how does that connect with the strife or the pain that I am enduring? So we jump right into scripture. Once when we, this is St. Paul, a missionary who, whose focus was on the Mediterranean Rim, and he was on a, on a big mission, and he was saying once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. 
She earned a great deal of money by her owners by fortune telling. So just some historical cultural context. There are some wealthy people that found this woman was fortune telling by some spirit. She was fortunate. She was able to tell the future. So of course, some rich guy says, hey, let's grab her and let's make some money off of her. She can tell the future for someone else and then we'll get, you know, 50% of the income and in what she does. So St. Paul and, and his crew ran into this woman. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Is she saying anything wrong? No. Here's this woman going around, following St. Paul, following around these apostles, and she kept on saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She's not saying anything wrong. But imagine you have a little voice next to your ear all around town, everywhere you go. You're trying to eat. You're trying to have a good conversation with somebody. And this woman is coming and saying, this is, this is the servant of the most high God. This is the servant of the most high God. So, of course, it's super annoying. So, St. Paul says, enough is enough. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. To me, when I first read that, this is my personal commentary, my personal meditation. He probably just told her to annoy, even though she's not saying anything wrong. She just, he just, like, everyone's be fed up. Okay, you do it once, twice, four times, 14 times, for days. Okay, just, I, spirit, come out of her. Enough is enough. But St. John Chrysostom, a fourth century bishop, said he wanted, St. Paul wanted to make sure that this spirit was, was removed from this woman so people do not be deceived by this woman. Yes, she's speaking the truth, yes, but she has a different agenda that she can deceive the, the, you know, what St. Paul is doing and, and lead others into deception. So this is why St. Paul put her in her place and told the spirit to come out of her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Come on, if you're making good cash of this female, and everything was going well, and all of a sudden that was, take, that, that was removed, you're going to report Paul and Silas, these two missionaries, you're going to report them to the authorities because they're causing like an uproar in the city just because of them preaching. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us, Roman, they're unlawful to us Romans, to accept or to practice. The crowd join in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates order them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. So the uproar occurred. We don't know the details. Was there enough pressure by the authorities that they said, okay, we don't want people to give us a hard time. We need to win re-election. Let's just put Paul and Silas in, into jail. We don't know the, the exact details of what, of what occurred. Or was it... The, the, the people of Rome thinking this is like a different version of, of Judaism that might, you know, pick up uh, momentum. We don't want to deal with that, so it's better just to put Paul and Silas, they're gaining popularity, it's better for us to sh shut that voice altogether and just put him into jail. So there's a jailer who ends up watching Paul and Silas. We'll get to the jailer next week, but they end up being in jail. When he received these orders, the jailer, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stalks. Here's Paul and Silas. They're not ignorant to hardships. Here comes another difficulty in front of them. Things are going well. They told the lady to, to, to stop talking. 
one thing unfolded after another, after another, they find themselves in jail. And here they are, fastened with their feet, with these huge shackles on their feet in jail. Even though they were fastened by, by it being put in jail, they were fastened to another reality. They were being held by another reality. In the midst of hardship, even though their feet were tied together, they tied their identity, they tied their pursuit, they tied their worldview to something bigger than just the hardship in front of them. And because of their endurance, this is why our record of their hardship still exists till today. About midnight, them being in jail, Paul and Silas were, and I want to pause there. When you go through a tough situation, Maybe you've never been in jail and you've had shackles around your feet. You've been fastened to the ground. Maybe you've never experienced that. But when you're going through a hardship, what do you do? When they were going through this hardship, and about midnight, Paul and Silas, what was their response to trial, to hardship, to pain, to losing hope? What was their response? What is your response to hardship? Is it, let me just pull up my phone to cope with this? Let me go to this unhealthy habit to cope with this stress, with this pain. Let me go to this drug, this drink, this person. What is your response to hardship and to pain? In other words, what do you anchor yourself to? What is your foundation that identifies you? What are you rooted in? Are you rooted? Is it easy to have faith when things are great? Yeah, but when things get tough which I know you have experienced if you have lived more than three days. So when you have hardships, what do you anchor yourself to? When you're up all night from the stress and from the anxiety and, not, and because of uncertainty and the pain is unbearable and you have 21 questions but no answer, what do you do at midnight? What did Paul and Silas? Do not think, I, I, I put this disclaimer all the time, do not think that they, their life is perfect and they have halos around their head and say, God has a plan, God has a plan. no. They were going through a roller coaster of emotions, being in a dark dungeon, fastened to the ground because of shackles. They, 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 they didn't just to say, oh, okay, God, God, God loves us, he has a plan. No, they were going through hardship. But how did they push through this hardship? So at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them and probably thinking, what on earth you're in jail. This is the time to sing. Suffering. Suffering reveals what we have tied our faith to. Suffering reveals what we have tied our faith to. Suffering is what builds the muscles of virtue, of how we endure. But ask yourself, what is your faith, what is it, what is your faith fastened to? Their feet were fastened, but they also knew they were fastened to something bigger. What are you anchored in in the midst of hardship and pain and trials? What do you fasten yourself to? Their response. Don't think they were just like skipping around and just singing with joy. No, they're pushing themselves beyond the emotion of pain and agony. They're pushing them to, to, to pursue God in the midst of this. Faith. Faith is best fastened to an enduring, historical, living reality, not future outcomes. Some of us feel, 
Well, things will get better. Things will get better. Things will get better. Things will get better. Let me ask you this. What happens if it doesn't get better? Things will get better. Things will get better. What if it doesn't get better? We don't have a guarantee that things will get better in our, the way we view what's better. We have a view of what's good, what's bad, what's better, what's not better. We have, we have definitions. In your hardship, in your pain right now, you have a definition of what's better, what's not better. But what if the reality of God who transcends your issue and your pain, the one who is, is working all things together for good and threading the pain and the insecurity and the stress, what if he's threading all that for a bigger narrative in which you and I are part of? Maybe his definition of better is the definition that I'm trying to pursue. Faith. Faith is best anchored and fastened to an enduring, historical, living reality. Isn't that kind of a, what's the word, oxymoron? Say historical and living. Faith is best fastened to an enduring, historical, living reality. That reality is death being transcended, is death being overcome. It's because of that reality. That's what gave Paul and Silas gas in their tank to keep on going. They said, man, if death has been overcome by the God-man, then nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Yes, don't get me wrong. This stinks. This, the lens of suffering, this is painful. This stinks. This is the last place I want to be. Why on earth am I here if I'm doing God's work? But they also had a lens of faith that they knew maybe God is putting this into a bigger narrative for my own edification. Maybe he's using this pain in this temporal world to, to, for me to be built up into something so much bigger. What if God is wanting to work amazing things through me through this hardship of where my feet are fastened? But what made them push through is they knew they were fastened to something so much bigger. Faith is best fastened to an enduring, historical, living reality. It's not theory. Because of the historical reality of who Jesus was and is, and to us as first century Christians, it's a sacramental reality. It's something we live in a dynamic way. We don't celebrate Christmas just at the end of the year. We don't just celebrate Easter in the spring. It's a living reality that transcends the dimension of time itself. It's living within us. He is living within us in a dynamic reality. It's not just it's something for the kids. It's working within us. If we desire to lean toward him and fasten ourselves to him. Faith is best fastened to an enduring, historical, living reality, not future outcomes. Nobody knows what's going to come. But again, don't we always say that? Things will get better. Things will get better. And we stick to our own definitions of terms. And we like to say that to make us feel, okay, okay, things will get better. Things will get better. Things will get better. Then we get that phone call. Then we have that conversation. Then what? What are you fastened to? This entire series, this three-part series, the music team probably is laughing when I told them that this series is based off a song I love because I love the song so much. It's a song called She Came With The Spices. I love it. And the last verse of this song is about enduring strife. Actually, the entire song is about us looking at other broken people like you and me of how they endured. How did St. Peter endure? How did St. Paul, a missionary, endure? How did St. Mary of Egypt endure? And we'll look at these, at these people, and we'll see their suffering. We'll see their hardship, and we can be able to look at their hardship and say, yeah, you know what? I'm not any different. I can relate to her anxiety, to her stress, to her uncertainty. I can, I, can, I can relate to their pain. 
This is the comfort we have in being in communion with those who have come before us and who have struggled and endured the strife that was placed in front of them. I want us to stand. I want us to pray. And I want us to digest the words of this beautiful song. And the song begins with the, the first verse. I love this. A woman came with the spices. She came to your tomb, O Lord, not knowing that you have soared above the earth. But the woman who came to the tomb, she came with the spices. She came to your tomb, O Lord, not, not knowing that you already overcome. Maybe we come to our pain and we know exactly what's going to occur. Because we, but what if God is wanting to transcend the pain that's within us to bring life? Knowing that God soared above the earth. She came void all, of all hope. She came expecting pain, hardship, difficulty, strife. But she forgot the life giver who is the living breath. I pray for the next two Sundays from now. The question I want us to put into prayer, and I want you to sleep on this question. What are you fastened to? What are you fastened to? What are you anchored in? What worldview are you anchored in? And when times are good, I, can, I know what the answer is. When times are tough, what is your answer? What's your go-to when midnight hits and the pain is enduring? Not, not, you're, it's hard for you to endure, and it's hard for you to hold on to hope what do you hold on to? What's your outlet to deal with the stress and the pain, the strife? Let us stand and pray this song together. She came with the spices to thy tomb, O Lord, knowing not that thou above the earth had soared. She came void of all home, she came expecting death, forgetting the life giver who is the living breath. In trials and tribulations, do we not do the same? Looking at our errors, despairing in our blame. How often do we wallow, abandoning all hope, as though on our own with burden we could cope. If Peter lost all hope when our Lord exposed his sin, Luke would not record the 3,000 he would win. If Paul considered nothing but his murderous past, would his inspired letters to this generation last? Moses' life was evil, every sin he did commit. But from this desert bended, a shining lamp was lit. If Mary, Egypt's harlot, had not tried to win his grace, would she now be in heaven? Would she have won the race? Our Lord set an example, compelled we do the same. 
Fight, strive, persevere, and on us will be no blame. If our loving Savior had not endured all pain, would redemption and salvation ever be our gain? I come now with home to thy tomb, O Lord, knowing that in truth above the earth and sword, I come now with joy, I come expecting life, knowing that through thee I can endure all strife. Lord, we come to you with joy, holding on to hope, because you are the reality of that hope. You have overcome death in order for us to have life in our marriages, to have life in our struggles, to have life in the weakness and in, in our battles that we face. There are aspects of all our lives in which it is so hard for us to hold on to hope and to find comfort. But Lord, you have come to give us that living dynamic reality in our lives. We come wanting, desiring to endure in order to find life in you and through you. We are not in this journey alone. We are not the first one to push to endure, and we are not the last. But we, we desire to have our faith, our identity, our trust fastened into you regardless of the circumstances that surround us. Through the prayers of all your saints and holding on to the joy and hope of your holy resurrection, Lord, hear us as we all pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, we will continue our series next Sunday.